0: I'm David Mattson, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in, and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. In high school, we knew who most of our classmates were, if not more than that. Kaylee, I remember as someone who was creative in how she presented herself, involved in the performing arts, and who had a close group of friends, including Stephen Lundy. And for the record, I think Kaylee's right. We had never spoken until now. Wow. Hi. Hi. (laughs)
1: How are you? I'm good. I didn't get to talk to you at the last reunion.
0: You know, it's... Been 30 years, I guess, since we last talked. Yeah. So,
1: and actually, catch- how much did we really talk 30 years ago? Not much. Not so. much.
0: Maybe a grunt or something like that. Uh, oh. <laughs> hey.
1: <laughs> you were quiet. You were quieter than I was.
0: Yeah, you were interesting. You, you were a lot more interesting than I was. <laughs> weird. <laughs>
1: I think the high school word for it is weird. So is that your backyard? I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Although kind of, I do live kind of close to Waipio Valley. I live in Waimea. Okay, Waimea. Yeah. I love it. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. I miss some things about Oahu, but not that many.
0: Love can take you to places you'd never imagine you'd go. Let's hear how Kaylee met her special someone. How did you end up on the big island? You know, because
1: No, isn't that weird? That's that has been the biggest surprise to people when I go to the reunions. And um, but it's really the most mundane reason because I followed a boy. Yeah. That's pretty much how it happened. He must, he
0: must be something special for you to follow him to the Big Island and, you know, you know set up life there. So you, you followed a guy. How'd you guys meet?
1: I went to um, graduate school at UH, my mom. So I was in my graduate program and um, working on my master's degree at the time. And, and I was doing my practicum for the Department of Health at the Windward Children's Team, which was the... Child and Adolescent Mental Health Center in Kaneohe. There was an adolescent day treatment program, and he was also working as a therapeutic foster parent. So he had a 17-year-old um, boy in his home, then he was kind of being this single therapeutic parent too. So my supervisor at the time, and she's like, and we're going to have this meeting with the therapeutic foster parent. And, you know, it's just this really great training exercise for you. So we get there and the meeting is only me and him and my supervisor. I heard nothing. I digested nothing. I had an instant crush on him. I was like beside myself. So then we we're kind of leaving at the same time the building was closing up and everything. So leaving at the same time, started talking in the parking lot. He called me the next day and asked me on a date, except the only way he knew to reach me was at the, at the office and I was a practicum student. So I didn't have like a phone number or a mailbox or like anything. So it actually was with my supervisor. So then when I came in on Monday, she said, Oh, you got a call from Franco. And I was like, okay. Uh, I had no phone or anything. So I actually had to, I called him back. I didn't know if it was about the case or whatever. So I called him back in her office with her sitting right there. And he was like, oh, are you in Diana's office? I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, that's kind of awkward because I was actually calling to ask you out. Okay.
0: Mixing biz- business and pleasure a little bit. That's, <laughs>
1: that's right. Well, it turns out, actually, later on, my supervisor admitted that it was all kind of a ruse. She really was actually just trying to. Um, it was a setup. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Okay. So uh, she was smart. So I guess psychologists are good matchmakers. That's what I took away from that.
0: So clearly you weren't in on it was he on he in on it like he was he saw you and said hey Diana why don't you set something up no no she was kind of she, instinctively... she was
1: the mastermind yeah we had never <laughs> met master. each other before <laughs> totally <laughs> he,
0: like if i were to ask him franco was it love at first sight for you when you saw kaylee what would he say
1: hmm He's not prone to exaggeration because he makes sure that everything he says is true. But he mm-hmm. might, I think he would admit that he was into me from the get. <laughs> I think he would concede that. What a great story. For, so when I first started dating Franco, you know, he was already Buddhist, obviously, because that's why he came to Hawaii. And he didn't drink alcohol at the time. He was vegetarian. Mm-hmm. um you know all this stuff so I bring him to meet the family and of course you know it's the party in the garage well all the guys are in the garage right <laughs> like smoke meat and beer and they're watching a game and you know it just you know just like Go you're on your own. Go get him. I'm gonna Wait. be in the house with the gal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if he goes through that and, and he's still around, then he's a keeper. Yes. He, that, he
1: went it right through ahead. it and won them over. So it was a win win. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, and he's not even from here. He's from the mainland So,
0: Really? Where's he from?
1: Uh he grew up. First half of his life in New Jersey, second half in Michigan.
0: Really? So he's a poster and a Midwesterner. Yeah. And he was just kind of making his way west to you.
1: (laughs) To better and better weather. Yeah, right. So he actually, he moved to Hawaii. Um, He's Buddhist. We're Buddhist. He had moved to Hawaii because he had heard about this wonderful Buddhist teacher who was living and teaching in Palolo, and so he just showed up here with a suitcase to learn from this teacher, so that's what brought him here ultimately. And then we were both on Oahu, but actually the reason he ended up on the Big Island was because the teacher uh, retired to the Big Island, and so he followed him here. He eventually Came ordained, so he's a Buddhist priest. Oh, and, um, we had our own little sangha here in Waimea, just mm-hmm. full of people, and it's been really nice.
0: Wow, being Buddhist, you guys don't drink though, or
1: we actually don't. There are a lot of Buddhists that
0: do. Okay, so is it is it like, um, like a hard
1: and fast thing? But yeah, we actually don't. We, we are all in on the caffeine.
0: Okay. So. How do you take your coffee?
1: I take it in its purest form, David.
0: Is there a particular brand of coffee that uh, (laughs) that you like?
1: I am super non-discriminating. It is a vehicle for caffeine delivery. (laughs) So whatever Costco has on sale is basically what what I buy in bulk
0: so Kaylee is not a coffee snob then that that is what you are saying
1: that is what I'm saying I will go on a coffee date with any of our classmates to any location and drink any coffee
0: perfect moving to the big island from Oahu sounds like a big transition with a lot of new things to adjust to Kaylee talks about what it was like and where she found the local people.
1: So when we first moved to the Big Island, we were actually living in um, Puna. So we were living in Pahoa. We are actually living in Leilani Estates. I don't know if the house we were living in survived the eruption, but um, yeah, that had all the tropical feels.
0: All right, so how long have you been in Waimea?
1: Uh, since 98? So what kind of things have changed
0: in Waimea over the period since you first started living there?
1: I mean, it's definitely grown. It's definitely, you know, more houses, more people, Starbucks, all that, you know. But yeah. But it doesn't really feel like the essence of it has changed that much you know I mean even though it's grown a lot it still feels like a small town and it has a kind of sweetness because of that so I don't know that it's changed tons it would be interesting to ask somebody that like grew up here um how much it's really changed but I mean it was kind of funny when we first moved here um you know, it, there's parts of it that feel kind of gentrified, I guess, and um, and it wasn't actually until our kids started going to the public school that we really, so we got invited, you know, when our daughter was starting kindergarten, you get invited to the kindergarten orientation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband and I walk into the cafeteria, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is where all the local people have been, <laughs> in Waimea Elementary <laughs> <laughs> like we really didn't, you know, because we don't ranch or like things like that. It it was like, wow, okay, now. So then, once my kids started going to school, then I was like, okay, now I'm friends with the local people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how quiet is it there in Waimea? I'm, I'm I'm imagining quiet and a lot of starlit nights.
1: You you've got it. You've Nicole. got it. And cold. Yeah, cold. In fact, when we first built um our house, you know, the I grew up in Kailua and you know the houses are like right on top of each other, right? And we're in a neighborhood here, so it's I guess, you know, kind of unusual. Like there's not too many like subdivision y kind of neighborhood things, but we're in one. But still yet yeah, the houses are much farther apart than in Kailua. And so I used to make you know, we had just had a first child and everything and I would make my husband go outside him okay I'm in a vacuum tell me if you can hear okay the baby's crying go outside and tell me if you can hear know. you know once we kind of knew that we wanted to stay here and have a family and stuff like that I have an uncle that lived up here in Waimea and I had visited it on and off you know as a kid and it just in my mind was like the ultimate place to have a family I don't know.
0: Kaylee talks about her kid's who are also beneficiaries of our alma mater. Tell me about your kids. How many do you have? How old are they? What are their names?
1: Uh, We have two kids. So our daughter, Kulia, is 19. She goes to college at Grand Canyon University. So she wants to be a special ed teacher for littles, like preschool special ed. She's a natural. She's like the toddler whisperer or something they really like her for some reason so I think she'll be great
0: (laughs) do you think that she'll um end up laying roots on the big island or does she have interest or is there a boy in the mainland
1: there's a boy but he's here so that that increased our chances um no she's actually always said that she wants to be back you know like she wanted to go away for school but she's always said that she wanted to come home and work here. And uh, so, I, you know, we're old enough now to know that life takes you in different directions, uh, predictably. But, uh, yeah, I hope she does. I hope she does end up back here. That would be. Yeah. Also, like you, I also have a 16-year-old boy. His name is Ka'io. And he goes to Kamehameha here on the Big Island. But has been doing it from home for the past year because it's about an hour and a half away. So we had the choice of him doing distance or going to campus on this like hybrid thing, but we're so far away that uh, distance has been better for him. Where's the campus? It's in Keao, so Puna. So it's a trek. Um, He has not missed waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Neither have I. We have been very happy to sleep normal hours and (laughs) do school from home. That's been great. He went to public school here, elementary, and then he started in sixth grade. and It's been great. I mean, at first he was bummed because he didn't want to leave his friends and his school and his whatever. But... More recently, he's been able to admit that it, he's very glad that he goes there. <laughs> so,
0: What about your daughter? Did she go to
1: there too? Well, she was waitlisted in sixth grade. So she started uh, from seventh grade. So my daughter's graduating class was about 140. Okay.
0: That's, that's pretty good for, for the Big Island.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. I've certainly come to appreciate it more as an adult than I ever did when we were there
0: so what what are some of the things that that you like that they're doing differently now
1: the big thing that i've been kind of jealous of is they're required to take hawaiian language Mm -hmm. and in hindsight that's something that i really wish that i had done but um so yeah that probably the most noticeable thing of like, oh, wow. And, and like actually a lot more Hawaiian history, Hawaiian culture kind of things than I remember.
0: Goodness. Oh, so by the way, another slight digression. So Ooh. what ethnicity is your husband?
1: He is Sicilian mostly and with a little bit of Irish and English sprinkled in there. So, for my husband, who's not Hawaiian, you know, the alternative here, I guess, is to be Hauli. But if he doesn't out himself, I think most people don't realize that he's not local because he's brown, 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 brown. You know, just like those, those of us Portuguese people that came from Madeira. I don't know where your Portuguese family Madeira. came from. I came from Madeira. Madeira. Yeah, very close to Africa. I think it's been interesting. So we coined the term Euro-Polynesian. That's how we identify. <laughs> Sicily, Madeira, Polynesia.
0: <laughs> so, so what do your kids look like?
1: I've had a lot of people tell me that my husband and I actually look alike. So it's hard to say who looks like who. We kind of look alike and then our kids look like us and each other.
0: Here's something I didn't know about Kaylee. As a child, she lived abroad for a couple of years. And as different as the culture was there, she loved it.
1: Okay, so here's, a, here's an interesting factoid about me that people might know. When I was like seven, eight, and nine, so for like two, two years in my childhood, my family lived in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And so my, my dad had gotten a job there. Um, they were building an international airport in Jeddah. He was a consultant. I don't know. He had one of those jobs that I didn't really understand as a kid, but we went, um, we lived there for two years. Um, you know, he made really good money and I mean, that was the whole thing. That was the whole reason for going. Right. And, uh, and so while we were living there, I had the choice, well, my mom, I guess, had the choice of putting me in the American school, which was where all the American kids went, mm-hmm. or the school that was in our camp where we were living, and um, which happened to be a British school. And it, she just put me in the British school because it was right there and convenient, and and it was actually really great. And so there weren't that many of us kids there. And so the way they you just did the work that you could do. And so my friend, my best friend at the time was a little bit older than me. So of course I wanted to like do the things, like she was, got to do money and she got to do, you know, it's elementary school. So yeah. I just wanted to do the stuff she was doing. And so, um, so yeah, I was just in this like really great little British school and so my mom, I think it was kind of a long two years because she wasn't allowed to work. She wasn't allowed to drive. She wasn't allowed to go out in public unless she was fully covered. Like it was, a, I think it was kind of hard um, to be a woman, Western woman in
0: time. So it must've changed a lot since then.
1: Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, I loved it, but I wasn't, a lot of times people who were there who had older kids, uh, you know, I was seven and eight and nine, but I know our friends who had teenagers, the teenagers all went away for boarding school mm-hmm. in Europe and things like that. Like there weren't teenagers there per se. So of the foreigners, you know, who came. And so, but for me, because I wasn't a teenager yet, you know, as a kid, there's none of those restrictions. And, you know, I look, brown. And so they, I I mean, I was, I loved it. People were so generous, so hospitable. We would go to the market and the vendors would give me little like mirrors or little perfumes or little, I mean, just the kindest, sweetest people. And then alternatively, you know, like we wouldn't go anywhere. My mom let us go anywhere on Fridays because that's what they would do. Like public beheadings. Luckily my mom knew the schedule so I never I was never uh, confronted by anything like that. We had an American friend who um like smuggled my mom bacon for her birthday so we could have BLT sandwiches for her birthday and it was like big like stuffing towels under the door so people wouldn't smell us cooking it. <laughs> like, it was a it was a whole operation of <laughs> BLT birthday espionage.
0: Wow, that's that's yeah. something. But you guys made it back, you know, in one piece. So that's a good thing.
1: We did. And we traveled a ton while we were there because, you know, I think my, my parents' attitude, because, you know, my dad would get vacations and stuff like that. But rather than come home, you know, my mom's thought was like, we're on this side of the world. We're not ever going to be on this side of the world again. So we should use the vacations to travel and stuff like that. So we traveled quite a bit. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I would love to travel as an adult, you know, traveling as a kid, you have weird, like I remember animals and bathrooms and like weird (laughs) things that kids remember. I mean, it was great experience. And I'm sure traveling the world and being an only child is why I was kind of weird in high school. I'm sure that was the formula.
0: (laughs) So you were an only child. Yeah. All right, I'll make sure that's right. Well,
1: in my growing up, yeah, I have haves and I have steps. Hmm. Uh, it was actually my stepdad that had the job in Saudi Arabia, but uh, he and my mom were together from the time I was two, so for all intents and purposes.
0: That, that absolutely counts for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. By the time we moved back to Hawaii and I went back to public school, I had already learned a lot of the things that they were – doing at that time so I came back and I was nine so I guess that's like fourth grade or something like that Mm -hmm. so anyway long story short I think they just decided that I would just go to the next grade and then it kind of all evened out I don't really remember (laughs) it too
0: well yeah okay so yeah you came back and you didn't have to like Take a placement test or anything, but it was just clear that that you're, you know, you were at the the next level.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had just already learned the things. It wasn't like I was some kind of like child prodigy or something. Like I just, I had already, I had already learned it. And so the only thing that was actually massively screwed up was my spelling, because I spelled everything the British way.
0: Oh, extra ease and that's and
1: views and you know the use and color and favorite and
0: Yeah, yeah. Plain
1: and yeah. (laughs) That that I was screwed up on. But everything else uh, translated. (laughs) So I grew up across the street from Patty Anderson. Did you already know that?
0: I did. I do now. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So yeah, so I grew up right in Kailua, Patty. And I grew up on the same street and of course she was a lifer she went to a hid me all along, but I went to Kainalu Elementary, which was like right down the street from where we lived. So
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was talking to Todd Osberg, and I know he's a Kailua guy and He is. We were on the bus together. Oh, very nice. Okay. So did did you uh did you know him, like you'd have conversations with him at all or anything or
1: yeah. I mean, you know, to the extent that you did that on the bus. Sure. So yeah. Yes. If you weren't sleeping were conversing, <laughs> I mean, there are so many things you could do on a long bus ride. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How do you think your classmates would remember you as back in high school?
1: I think I was kind of weird. And um, I don't know, I was in drama and orchestra. These were not cool things but whatever I mean I was feeling it and mm-hmm. you know, I think people would probably remember me more in association like with my more colorful friends like Steven or Malia or somebody
0: do you have any mementos that you keep uh from high school
1: you know aside from your books and my class ring Um, I would say probably the only other thing that has survived till now is that I kept all of the mixtapes that Stephen made for me.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. Right? I
1: have nothing to play them on. I do not own a cassette player.
0: Do do they even make cassette players anymore?
1: No. (laughs) But I have them all. And I should send you a picture. So... Well, because that was the love. That's how you told someone you loved them, is you made them a mixtape. I mean, come on. That was our love language in the 80s. It was. So so my measure of my best friend's love is all of these mixtapes, which, and of course, he's a great artist. So they all, all the cover art is his original drawings and... And it's all weird alternative music because, you know, we were like too cool to listen to stuff that was on the radio. And anyway, they're total treasures to me, even though I can't listen to them anymore. And I they're not completely like ruined and moldy or whatever, but I have them all. And in fact, I took a picture recently. So that's why I know I can send you a picture. Um Please do. The, all of the covers to show to show him like. Hey, still have these.
0: <laughs> what were some of the songs that were on those mixtapes?
1: Oh, so it was like the Smiths, the Cult, the Cure, mm-hmm. um, Cocteau Twins. Uh, um, yeah, Erasure. You know, like that. That's that's where we were at.
0: I, I recognize about half those bands.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was steven we wouldn't even we would have been very uncultured musically if it wasn't steven he was the one that would like somehow find out about all this music and then he lit all of us up with it and then and then he was our dj producer whatever so there's that oh and i guess i do have one other thing from high school so and it to this day is actually one of the most beautiful things i own so I was dating Scotty Wilson who class of 88 and one, I think Christmas or something. He gave me this Koa jewelry box. It's beautiful. I mean, it's I sometimes I look at it and like my teenage self did not appreciate <laughs> what a gorgeous gift this is, you know? Um, but I still have that. I still use that every day cause it's beautiful and you know, Stands the test of time, I guess.
0: It sounds like a family, a potential family heirloom. Totally, totally. So if you could have one of your high school teachers be the teacher of one of your children, who would that be
1: and why? Hmm. Hmm. The teachers that I spent the most time with in high school were my portrait teacher, Mr. Hamilton, and the drama teacher my senior year, which was Mr. Palmore, who I actually got to see at the 30th. He actually came and we got to hang out together. All of us little drama geeks got to hang out together with him and it was really wonderful. Well, I knew them the best. Because they're not cool activities, I think what I appreciate them about them as teachers in hindsight, when you're around them, you just felt like how you were was just totally perfect. You know, just as you are, Mm -hmm. you are right where you need to be. And I want you here and whatever, let your freak flag fly or (laughs) whatever, you know? Well, and you know, in high school, I really had it in my head that there were just people that were just too cool to talk like why would i just go up and talk to that person (laughs) that's ridiculous (laughs) once you're grown up and you realize oh that makes no sense at all i actually am allowed to talk to all of these people (laughs) yeah
0: absolutely and uh you know and they've got a lot of interesting things to say and uh interesting perspectives and and stories and everything totally
1: yeah totally like i wouldn't say that when i was in high school That I was like super proud of, or felt like it was anything particularly special. You know, I just wasn't at like pep rally, woohoo, chaos. Like, I just, I don't know what, where my head was at if I just. You know, I think at the time it just all seemed like, oh, I just got to get to the mainland, go to college and like see what the world is really like and have adventures and, you know, like it it seemed like it was so um, small and like the whole world was out there and here we were, you know, on this rock at Kamehameha. Like it just didn't, I didn't get it
0: what Hawaii and being Hawaiian means to us is as individual as we are. And for some of us, it evolves over time.
1: I went to college in LA, which I really loved, and I had a great experience and everything. But I honestly could not wait to come back to Hawaii when it was done. And I think for me, I needed to go somewhere else to be able to like really evaluate <laughs> Hawaii properly, you know, so after being in LA, that was kind of my first realization that wow, Hawaii is really special. And actually, I'm kind of proud to be from Hawaii. I'm not embarrassed. And I'm not embarrassed to be Hawaiian. I'm kind of proud of that. Like, that's really special. And, you know, but that those thoughts didn't occur to me until being away and coming back, you know, so I think at the time I just was kind of like, you know, didn't want to listen to Hawaii music. Didn't want to, you know, I just wanted to be somewhere else and doing something else. And,
0: you know, so. or what were some of the things that you really missed
1: when you live in an amazingly beautiful place, you don't really appreciate that until you live in LA, for example, you know, the first time we went to the beach, we had like a dorm trip to the beach or something and everybody was super pumped. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. go get them. I'm not swimming in that. (laughs) You know, like it just, you know, so I think on a very superficial and the smog, oh, my eyes and my, it messed with me for like the first three months that I lived there because it was just so gross. And, you know, I was, I think I was, well into probably halfway through my freshman year in college before I realized that there was like a mountain range behind my campus. And one day the Santa Ana winds blew and it blew all the smog away. And there was this like, and I came out of my dorm completely disoriented, like what, There's where did those come from? You know, so it was just like, there's things like that that I was like, oh wow. Not every place has like clean air, clean water, beautiful, you know, where you just want to be outside all the time. So, but then I think, you know, being in a college where you're kind of starting to learn about like the world and activism and injustices. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I was thinking about those things when I was home. And so It wasn't until I went away to college that I actually started learning about the overthrow or learning about, you know, different things about Hawaiian history that I'm sure we learned in school. And I just wasn't, I just didn't get it. I just wasn't interested or I don't know what my deal was. I don't really know what clued me in or lit me up about it. I mean, while I was there was the 100th anniversary of overthrow there was a little bit of that, I guess. And so I think it was only being there that made me aware of like, oh, wow, there's a whole rich history and culture of things that I always knew about, obviously.
0: How does the saying go? Choose a job you love and you'll never work another day in your life. It could have just as easily been, choose a job you love And you may be doing it for the rest of your life. Without naming what your occupation is, how would you describe what you do?
1: I oversee children's community mental health centers on the neighbor islands for the state. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's such a like how oh, I didn't know what my dad did when I was growing up. It's, it is one of those jobs where when my, my kids were growing up, they're like, what do you, doing? <laughs> what, what's your job? You know, dad is easy. Like he's a psychologist. He does therapy with people and he's helping people and stuff like that. And mine is a little more, uh, indirect, I guess. But, um, yeah, I work for the state. I work for the department of health and, Uh, We have children's community mental health centers on all the islands. And so I'm the administrator over those. Um, And and it's a lot of responsibility and stuff, but it doesn't feel hectic the way working directly with kids and families can feel, you know, like when they're having a crisis or when they need something right away.
0: You miss working with um, directly with the clients.
1: Sometimes. I mean, I think that's where the, that's where all the stress is, but there's a lot of reward in that too, you know? So I guess it, it evens out. And I really like the people that I work with and I've got great employees and really good teams and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, it's basically my first job out of grad school and then like, you know, 20 whatever years later, I'm still working you know for the same division the same department like that part kind of blows my mind a little bit like wow I really didn't think when I took that first job that you know this was going to be my career arc or whatever but
0: how many how many years ago
1: this year will be 23
0: yeah wow so you started a decade before me years here and and you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say you're a year younger than us but but that's okay because (laughs) you retire one year before you (laughs) (laughs) so what's your comfort food
1: chili and fritos
0: chili you ever uh, had chili
1: fritos it's like the best thing in the world
0: oh like a dip like you eat it like that Mm. Well,
1: instead of putting your chili on rice, you put it on Fritos.
0: I'm going to have to try that. That's the proper way to eat chili. (laughs) What do you do to unwind?
1: We were first together and we didn't have kids you know, we could do all the hobbies. So he's actually a martial artist. And so he started a Aikido class in Waimea and I took Aikido with him and came and did Hula with me. You know, we could both do all the things. And then once we had kids, of course, we had a tag team. You can't both have the same um, <laughs> hobbies that take you out of the house at the same time. So, you know, obviously he stayed with martial arts and, and I stayed with Hula, but it's been really... Great. I wouldn't have thought that I would love it as much as I do, especially because I wasn't very connected to Hawaiian stuff, you know, like in my youth or anything like that.
0: This is why raising children is the most meaningful thing Kaylee's done in her life. What's the most meaningful thing that, that you've done in your life?
1: The most meaningful thing? Yeah raising kids, having a family, you know, it's like, unlike anything else that you do in your life, it makes you kind of examine your values and your sense of the world at every turn because you have this person who's growing experimenting and questioning. And, you know, I've i definitely grown more from being a mom than anything else I've done in my life.
0: Did I ask you how you felt about turning 50?
1: No, but I won't know for another year. So you can call me next January and you can ask me how I feel about it. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, well, as, as long as I'm not suffering from depression going through my mid-century transition.
1: I think the gift of age is you just get more comfortable in your own skin. And so a lot of high school was just figuring out, you know, who am I? Am I this goth person? Am I this like retro person? Am I this, you know, so... I think I'm a lot more relaxed and comfortable than I was in high school. And fundamentally, I don't, I mean, I guess this is the trick of age. Like I don't feel different. I've never had a bad experience meeting one of my classmates for the first time.
0: Year, so. <laughs> one of our classmates that we've known for 30 years that I'm meeting for the first time, you know, exactly. it's always enjoyable. It's never disappointing. I love that answer.
1: Plus, I got to talk to David Nutson, who was way cooler than me in high school.
0: Oh. Just... <laughs> that I, was real. I, I, would, I would quite beg to differ. The, uh, I would say I get to talk to uh, Kaylee, <laughs> who I would describe as sort of an, an enigma in high school, but, but the coolest <laughs> of ways.
1: Yes, I'll take it. That sounds right. great. <laughs> <laughs> You're number nine, by the way. That's my husband's favorite number.
0: I'll be sure to tell him. Is it? Okay, well, that's that's very
1: fortuitous.
0: This was meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) be.
1: (laughs) Thanks, David. You take care.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Kaylee Aquaro, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimetsu, Sean Mascal, and Wendy Brown. And a special thank you to Dwayne Andres for the music and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest updates and news on upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on primetime and... 89